In Lexington, Kentucky last year, 52% of homes were bought with cash. Money, money, Lexington. for today. As a speechwriting geek, I want to talk about the State of the Union, but we also must talk about the strange spherical object in the sky. And I'm not talking about the sun. Welcome to the Compass of Power. I'm Adam Wilson, and I spend a lot of time trying to figure out just what the heck has changed in American politics. I came to the conclusion a while back that it's a matter of place. What's going on now is the same thing that's been going on since the country got going, which is that the North is battling the South. If you look at things that way, I think a lot of bizarre contradictions in our politics snap into meaning. But other things become more bizarre. To wit, Chinese spy balloon. We all consider this a Chinese spy balloon, although I have seen it called a suspected Chinese spy balloon. That's because China says it's not a spy balloon, they say it is a very fancy weather balloon. And what if it's not a spy balloon or a weather balloon? What if it was actually built by a reclusive billionaire who likes to wear jumpsuits and who planned to poison the earth while floating high above the mass extinction in his balloon, only to return later and repopulate the planet using a horde of genetically perfect baby mamas? Too bad for him. He was stopped by a suave super spy turned jet pilot. Wait, that's the plot to Moonraker. Hmm. Okay, how about this? What if it is a Chinese spy balloon, but they cleverly plan to float it in plain sight of millions of Americans? They carefully plotted a course over the United States that allowed their sophisticated craft to hover only over areas most likely to shoot it down. Seriously, look up the track of this thing. It comes in somewhere over Alaska, floats south through Canada. It maybe touches the tip of North Idaho. Then it moves west through Montana. By then, it's hovering over a nuclear missile base. It turns out Montana is bristling with nuclear missiles. And the Pentagon decides it's time to let the president know. And the public. Maybe both of them at the same time. You don't have to be an expert in geography to imagine that the people of Alaska, Idaho, Montana are not likely to buy the explanation for not shooting down the balloon, which is that somebody might get hurt. I don't think they really cared in Montana. Faced with an invader, they would rather just start the shooting. But the Pentagon said that if we did that, 2,000 pounds of spy mass would be raining down across wherever it was. The spy balloon, clearly driven by artificial intelligence of a kind unknown to chatbots, continued to float right across the areas of the United States where they would prefer to see it shot down. Staying in the not-so-safe far west, it floated over the Dakotas next, headed south through Nebraska, Kansas, maybe clipped Oklahoma before it turned left, or maybe it did a flyover of Kansas City to see how football works. Not really clear. The maps on the websites uh, are a little vague, shall I say. Just to show it was in no way scared of us, it next buzzed Appalachia, where I think it's safe to say that it was shot at. I'm assuming, can't prove it, that at some point while it was floating over the Appalachian Mountains, someone did take a shot at it. 
but not even the 6.5 Creedmoor is going to have knockdown power on targets in the 60,000 foot range. At least, not straight up. The balloon trolled Arkansas, or maybe southern Missouri, Tennessee, right over the Appalachians, the people, and the mountains, into the Carolinas. Finally, once it was over the Atlantic, the military felt it could be taken down without quote-unquote undue risk. Here's the local reaction to this event as it happened. Remember, shooting down the balloon carried the possibility that the area underneath would be peppered with 2,000 pounds of debris falling from a height of roughly 11 miles. I love it. At least the people in America most likely to enjoy seeing a spy balloon shot down by an F-22 Raptor were the people who actually got to see it happen. I mean, what if the Chinese military had decided they'd rather spy on, I don't know, New York City, Boston, Portland, Maine? Those folks would not have appreciated the show. The Chinese authorities insist that their weather balloon has minimal steering capabilities. It is, in that view, pretty much like your neighbor's dog. Once he gets off the leash, he's going to do what he wants. He will bark at the chickens. He will run in front of traffic. He will sniff out the nuclear missile silos. It doesn't matter. You just can't control the guy once you let him go. Our experts seem to feel that it did have some steering capability and was clearly looking for high-value military targets, which, if true, seems to indicate that all of our high-value military installations are far, far away from our high-value cultural institutions. It seems like a stretch to say that it was a coincidence that it floated through the western United States, down along the Mississippi, made its way through Appalachia without ever once having harassed or bothered the good people of the left coast or Yankeedom or really even Pittsburgh. Maybe the jet stream is negatively correlated with on-the-ground economic activity. That's what I'm getting. There's definitely more to say here. For example, the fact that having reviewed the records, it turns out that the Chinese have sent perhaps four other balloons into U.S. airspace. We just didn't realize it at the time. At the time, which was a few years ago, it seemed like they were alien vessels and therefore were sent to the UFO pile for review. Sorry, everybody. Turns out they were not spaceships. But I want to talk about the State of the Union as well, which followed on the heels of the great balloon scandal of mid-February 2023. The very best part of the State of the Union was the way it was kind of the State of the Union debate. It featured two people who kind of agreed on President uh, on the balloon. The President Joe Biden wanted to shoot it down, and Major Oh man, the very best part of the State of the Union was the way it was kind of the State of the Union's debate. It featured two people who agree on the balloon. President Joe Biden wanted to shoot it down, and Representative Major Ter- Marjorie Taylor Greene woo, thinks it should have been shot down back when Biden wanted to shoot it down. Uh, but Biden didn't get to because it wasn't safe. Greene walked around on the Capitol Tuesday with a white balloon, a clever bit of theatrical prop work. You see, it was just a white balloon, as she said on Twitter, But that was a clever reference to the fact that, while she actually did only have a white balloon, the big white balloon in the sky was not just a white balloon, it was a spy balloon. 
I'm so glad that she came to the State of the Union address. I mean, do you remember way back when, when a fellow Wilson, Joe Wilson, shouted at Barack Obama? Obama was trying to give a State of the Union address, and this is back in 2009 when you did not shout at the president. Representative Joe Wilson shouts, You lie! at Obama. That was news for like a month afterwards. We asked ourselves, have we come so low that now we're shouting at the president while he's trying to give the State of the Union? Yesterday's new low is today floating high above us like a balloon. Still, I honestly enjoyed it. It was good. Listen, this is the Joe Biden Superfan Podcast, because I am a superfan of Joe. I think that the State of the Union was possibly Joe Biden's best speech ever, and he's given some good ones. Certainly, it was the best State of the Union speech in a decade. I would have to go back and revisit some of the early Obama State of the Unions, including the Uli one, to see if he did it better, because Obama was a very gifted speaker. And full disclosure here, guys, I am a speechwriter. You know, I often say that uh, when I'm introducing this podcast that I work in politics or have some background in politics. Well, some of that work, the work I continue to do, is speechwriting for elected officials. I am a student of the game. Obviously, Obama was an incredible speaker. And frankly, so is Donald Trump. I mean, a completely different style, not polished, but one does not build up the rabid fan base that the Trumpistas became without being able to effectively communicate to people and to hit the right notes. Joe Biden, on the other hand, is not known for soaring oratory or for inspiring mob action. He spent most of his career in the Senate, and it is that environment where he's at his best when he's talking to his fellow members of Congress. I could take a long time to talk about the politics of the policies he talked about. I love the economic populism. I love that he talked about the working class, the middle class, infrastructure, job creation, unions, junk fees. It's all good. I loved what he did not talk about. He did not engage on the left's most progressive slash divisive social issues. He stuck to areas where most Americans likely broadly agree. He did that at least in part because he's from Delaware. Delaware may not it's part of the Northern Coalition in American politics, but it's not Massachusetts. It's not uh, San Francisco. It's part of the, it's it's not part of that progressive wing, I suppose is what I want to say there. So Biden focused on economics and took on social issues with a more humanitarian and less moralizing uh, manner. In fact, Joe's most effective single line in this was probably when he was talking about the need for police reform. It's easy to cast this policy issue as either pro or anti-police. Either you think all cops are bad or you think blue lives matter. It's one or the other. And that paradigm would probably help Republicans politically right now. Uh, we're in the middle of an uptick in crime nationwide, and people are hoping for more police protection. But Biden did a beautiful job of humanizing everyone. He introduced the parents of Tyree Nichols, who was killed by police officers in Memphis last month. And, and here's the money line. Just as every cop when they pin on that badge in the morning has a right to be able to go home at night, so does everybody else out there. Beautiful. It paints a picture. It hits you in the heart two times. Uh, you, police have a right to come home. So does everybody else. You can't disagree with that. That may have been the best single line, but there was also the blue-collar blueprint. Nice phrase. It was a well-written speech. Lots of focus on the working and middle class with simple statements of principle like billionaires should pay at least as much in taxes as teachers and firefighters. The most telling sign that it was a well-written speech, however, to me, was that Biden felt so comfortable with it. He felt confident. 
In fact, I think some of the, his delivery was actually hampered by his confidence. He was at times sort of rushing ahead, plunging headlong, and that could cause him to skip over words or phrases. Nevertheless, his confidence and energy were shining through, and that meant Biden's best moments in that speech, which again could be some of the best moments in a career of public speaking dating back to the 1970s, were the unscripted moments. He, and then he actually he got to argue with some of the far-right Republicans. Here we talk about place and politics. So let's just go back and remind ourselves Biden is not from a particularly antagonistic part of the country. He's from northern Delaware, where the culture there, it's pretty laid back. It's related to the Quakers and the Dutch. We covered all of this in a previous episode uh, on the classified documents scandal. So Joe does not go to his speeches looking for fights, typically. On Tuesday, he made a point of being friendly with the Republicans, who have a narrow majority in the House. He not only was friendly with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, from Inland, California, a Republican, but he did McCarthy a favor. Apparently, McCarthy had requested Biden not go after what Joe calls mega-Republicans, the hard right. And so Joe obliged. He not only avoided the phrase mega-Republicans, he took pains to say some of the positions he didn't like were not an official or even a majority opinion for Republicans. He was still going to take on the far right's ideas because that's effective speaking. It's not because those ideas are going anywhere in Congress, where, by the way, the Democrats still control the Senate. But rhetorically speaking, Biden is presenting himself as the reasonable center. He nods to the progressive causes, but he avoids anything that smacks of like being far left. Then he holds up far right ideas and argues with them. Presto, he's the reasonable man in the middle. But Joe's trying to set up this rhetorical stratagem without offering moderate Republicans or the Speaker of the House anything offensive. He doesn't want to go after the hard right or the, the far right in such a manner that's going to preclude other Republicans from maybe giving him something. Uh, and something once considered unbelievable, terribly rude, happens. He gets interrupted. The president gets heckled. And because the speech is so good and Joe is feeling very confident, he stops and he stays in that moment and it is a magic bit of American oratorical history, I think. Let me play a clip here. This is about two minutes. Stick with me here. Republicans. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond. Folks,
So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not going to be This is great from a purely political sense because Joe Biden has said, you want to do such and such, which in this case is cut Social Security. Uh, and he characterizes it as some proposal that nobody else agrees with. But he's saying it's out there and he gets booed. You're not supposed to boo anybody while they're speaking to Congress, by the way. What do you think we are, the British House of Commons? No. But by engaging with the hecklers, uh, Biden seems to be negotiating with them. It appears to be a debate, and he ends it by saying, well, I think we've got agreement here. No one's going to cut Social Security. And even if they tried, I would veto it. Uh, Now, there may have been like 12 people that actually wanted to cut Social Security in that room. I don't know. I didn't look it up. But Joe has just played that minority into hamstringing the whole Republican majority on what they're able to do with Social Security, at least rhetorically. The other people are not actually able to debate because all they can do is stand up and shout, boo, they don't have microphones. It's not a fair fight. But they shouldn't have picked a fight in the middle of the State of the Union anyway, so them's the breaks. Since we'd like to talk about the politics of place here, I will now give you three guesses where the hecklers came from. If you guessed Iowa, I think you're wrong. If you guessed Michigan, I will say that they may be feisty there, but that's not it. Did you guess the South? I don't know. Maybe the Appalachians? It's a reasonable guess. The South and the North are the two big political blocks of the United States. The North is dominated by Democrats like Biden from Delaware. The South is dominated by Republicans like, I don't know, how about Representative Taylor Green, who I guess is known as MTG, the MTG. I don't know. I'm not that familiar with her. I don't get to like hang out and call her that. But she's the congresswoman with the white balloon, and she's from Georgia. More specifically, the northwest corner of Georgia, Appalachian Territory. Ta-da! I do feel like this is a little magic trip trick I perform, um, because the political universe presumes we are dealing with the differences in people's ideology, in political philosophy. So we call these folks far-right or hard conservatives. Lately, advanced thinking holds that these are actual different identities, amalgams of race, gender, education, things like that. And that may all be true on one level, but those differences are downstream from regional cultural differences. That is, politicians get their orientation to all those things, the parties, the ideological spectrum, the role of race and education, based on the culture in which they were raised, and that is determined by where they are. For example, there are, in fact, white male Democrats from the northern bit of Appalachia, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia comes to mind. But he's not like other white male Democrats from New York State. When you are at the State of the Union address in the halls of Congress and someone shows up in a white fur coat, starts shouting at the president of the United States and giving him the thumbs down for the cameras and generally challenging the whole thing, hooting and hollering, I'd guess you have someone from greater Appalachia in the house. That's all I'm saying. 
The actual South also includes the planter cultures we call the Deep South and Tidewater. Tidewater is where the spire balloon splashed down to great applause. The Deep South would include most of Florida, home state of Senator Rick Scott, the very Republican to whom Biden was referring when he said some Republicans want to sunset Social Security. Now, what Scott proposed was a sunset on all federal legislation, meaning that every five years, Congress would have to re-up the programs, which, of course, would be a complete reversal for Social Security and Medicare, which go on forever and to which Americans have a presumed right and entitlement. And yes, Scott was one of those shouting at Biden on Tuesday. Now, listen, the coverage of exactly who was doing all the shouting is a bit spotty. When you listen to the audio... It sounds like it's a lot of people, but when you look up the stories, they're mostly about the flamboyant Appalachian Green. And there is a great photo, which is copyrighted, so I'm just going to transform it into an audio version here of the the Green Affair, in which she is wearing her big fur-lined white coat and shouting, and there are six men in dark suits all looking fairly uncomfortable around her but then there's uh, another woman in front of her wearing a red dress with the most terrible expression and all all i can assume from looking at this photo is that the lady in the red dress that's her white coat but before she could make it into the chamber with the safety of the sergeant at arms to protect her she was cornered by green and green said something like nice coat. That's my coat, right? And and took her coat and then put it on. And then the other lady in the red dress had to sit through the State of the Union without her nice coat. Instead, the person who stole her coat and bullied her is now making an ass of herself in national television. And she gets to be the foreground. That's how bad that expression was. But anyway, listen, Senator Scott had some company in generally shouting no and boo and all that. We should talk about the Southern Coalition. Just as places that are geographically south on the West Coast are aligned with the old Union North, uh, think uh, Southern California, right? That's not what we would call like the South when we talk about the South and politics. Um, There are places in the West that are aligned with the Southern political dynamic. Uh, This is especially true when we look at the folks who like at first tried to block McCarthy's bid to become speaker. You can check out that episode, but many of them uh, were from the dry West. That means the West, but not the coast, Arizona, Arizona, Utah, uh, places like that, Wyoming. And among our no shouters is Senator Mike Lee of Utah. In 2010, Lee said that it was his quote, objective to phase out social security end quote. Now, Was it all members of the Southern Coalition yelling at Biden? Were they all from the West or the Deep South, maybe Tidewater, parts of Appalachia? I think it's mostly, mostly. Uh, That would be my guess. I wish I had like some way of knowing exactly every person who shouted boo and no, and then we could just run the numbers. Whoever it was, that's not who Biden went after the next day on his road trip. The next day, on Wednesday, he went to Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin is uh, certainly in the north, used to be part of the blue wall, but Republicans have gained a lot of ground there. And Republicans in the north are generally part of the underclass, meaning that the Democrats are dominant and the Republicans, when they win, are elected to fight the system. And that's kind of, as my understanding, what's been happening in Wisconsin for a while, is that Republicans were elected to flip the system over. 
They may not be Southern in their worldviews, they're still from the North, but they are allied with the Southern elite in their mutual battle with the Northern elite, the Democrats. Which brings us to Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He has proposed something a little lighter than his Southern and Western counterparts. Uh, What he has suggested is that Social Security and Medicare be made discretionary spending rather than entitlements. That doesn't mean that they sunset. That's what Biden was talking about. But it still means that they would be open to more meddling because they would not be automatically assumed in the budget. And sensing an opportunity to use his economic populism to return Wisconsin to the northern orthodoxy, Biden went there on Tuesday, day after a State of the Union, and he mentions Johnson's plans. And Johnson, too, senses blood in the water, but it's his. And he sent a statement to the Washington Post saying, quote, President Biden is lying about me. He lied last night and he lied again today, end quote. Not that he's feeling threatened or anything. I would argue that Johnson is the politician who actually got caught out by all this or people like Johnson. Yes, Biden successfully baited the rambunctious Appalachian elements of the Southern Coalition. He got people to boo him. He got people into what seemed like a debate, only he flipped it around and made it seem like they everyone agreed not to do the thing that they had proposed to do. Uh, but where those people come from, where most of the people who are booing and shouting and, and actually proposing to change Medicare or Social Security, they're fine. Their actions are not out of line. That is okay in their culture. Heck, Joe Wilson was from South Carolina, and he was censored for Congress for shouting, you lie at President Obama in 2009. Nobody is going to censure every representative and senator who is shouting at Biden on Tuesday night. Those days are done. So the South's way is ascendant. It is becoming a norm. But Johnson from Wisconsin is left to explain his Southern-like views to Northern constituents, and that's uncomfortable. And Biden went to that state, Wisconsin, not to Georgia or Florida first off. Now, Biden is going to go to Florida, and you guys, if you're interested, I recommend you check out the episode we did on Senator Raphael Warnock and the future of liberalism in the South, because just as the... Republicans have made some inroads in the North. The Democrats are making inroads in the South due to the changes happening. I mean, it's not just everybody moves to the South and they all become Republicans. I would argue most of them do, which is why Republicans are doing so well in the South. But it has fueled a boom in like the urban underclass. So just like the underclass in the North in Wisconsin, the Republicans have risen against the system and flipped it over. There are people in Georgia who are arguing exactly the same argument in reverse, right? We're going to rise against the system and flip it over. Anyway, it was a great speech. I really enjoyed it. Oh, man, Joe Biden, you know, it was good stuff. I got to go. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Adam Wilson. This is the Compass of Power. You can check out the website, compassofpower.com. You can find this podcast everywhere. I hope. Let me know if you can't. And we'll talk to you next week.